Welcome to the Frau Vies podcast, where we have conversations with Black women in tech from around the world and share their inspirational stories. I'm Naya Moss, your host and CEO of the Frau Vies community. At Frau Vies, our mission is to provide a community and means of support for Black women in tech. Whether you have worked in tech for 30 years or 10 years, a Black woman or an ally, this podcast is truthful, positive, unapologetic, and made just for you. Um, To get started, please introduce yourself to everyone. Sure, Naya. Um, thank you for having me. So my name is Gloria Bukubuaten. I'm from African descent, especially from Ghana. Um, I am a woman in tech, but I'm also a mom and a wife. Uh, I currently work at Capital One as um, the head of research for identity services. Um, and I basically started off in, you know, computing, the science and the STEM field. But I fell in love with um, user experience. I'm going to talk more about that. But yeah, I currently am a research scientist at Capital One, um, and I'm also a mom. Nice. And I think I saw. And do you have your PhD, or or are you currently um, achieving? So I I did back to back schooling. I I did my bachelor in computer science. Loved programming, um, but didn't want to spend a lot of time debugging. And then I went into um, my master's in applied health informatics, looking at, you know, how can we use healthcare um, tools like technology and other aspects of healthcare, optimize, optimizing tools to make care safer. So I did patient safety, medical errors, uh, designing tech for healthcare. And then I went to work for the federal government for a year doing policy work. How do we really uh, make sure that the technology that we're building does not interfere with the clinical work. Oh. Uh, and then I went to grad school to get my PhD to tie everything together. Wow, that's that's <laughs> amazing. That's that's actually pretty cool. I don't I don't think I would have been able to do that. Like I did like two years of college, and that was that was pretty much good enough for me. But you were making moves. Um, so, like, what was your first interaction with tech and how did it make you feel? Um, was it in college? Was it before? Was it when cell phones first came out? Right. That's a really, really good question. So, to give you some context, my dad is a pastor. Okay. Yes. He, he is in clergy. He teaches. He's a professor also. He teaches Bible students and, and people who want to be pastors, right? So, there's no one remotely in tech that I could lean on. And then my mom is in HR, so she's an HR executive. Uh, and she, they, they both work for the church, Seventh Adventist Church, right? Oh, so yeah. when I was five, my dad bought a computer. And this is in the mid-90s, like 1994, uh, He bought an actual computer, like a desktop at home. And my first interaction was playing the Mario game. <laughs> fucking. Yeah. And the floppy dicks and you put the dicks into the machine and then we'll play. And then my sister and I would have like 10 minutes each like time. 
and we would trade our time slots. And so that was my first interaction. I was really fascinated by, you know, the jump and the and the eating of all these mushrooms and Mario <laughs> go like like wow, who built this? I wanna be that person. Yeah. But that finished. And I'll tell you more about my story later wow. on. That's, that's so cool. I, I I don't play games too much, but um, I feel like my sister had a very similar experience. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like she got involved with tech a little bit and she got mm-hmm. into gaming. She started out with like Mario. So that's, that's yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. And like, so, all right. So you had this, this, this experience and obviously it, it, you know, infiltrated some interest in, in tech. Yep. How did you choose to work in tech as your career? Right. So I I wouldn't say that I chose to work in tech. Uh, tech chose me. And um, the reason why I say that is that after all my, you know, initial interests, uh, middle school interests in tech, uh, back in Ghana, there was no one to foster that, you know, burgeoning desire in me. And um, the only influence that I had was people in medicine. So I was like, yes, I want to be a medical doctor, you know. So I went to SS, which is equivalent to, like, high school here. I did uh, general science, which is, like, a STEM field. You do science. Um, you do all the, like, the tech stuff, but you also do a little bit of, like, biology, chemistry, physics, right? And I knew that I could always come back to the States and take my MCAT and go to my school. I love that. I actually studied for it for quite a bit. Um, and then I went to college in Ghana, and I... I just, for some reason, signed up for computer science. I think my dad also said, computer science is really great. Like, you know, just take your MCAT later. I took it my first semester. I aced it. I was really happy. Started programming. And that's when I started um, thinking about tech as as a formidable career for myself. But then fast forward to now that I'm working in tech, I think um, why I chose to work in tech is tech is a few, one of the few kind of areas or domains where success or like excellence is uh, kind of objective. If you can program in Python or you can debug or you can build a tool, you can build it. You know, nobody has to really tell you what you can do or nobody has to kind of grade or give you that excellence level that you desire. And as strange as it seems, as a perspectionist, I really wanted to be able to be good at something. Wow. And so I really decided to go into tech because then whatever I do, it's something that is technical and tactical and something that I can claim as something that I'm good at. Uh, but now that I am a mom and a wife, tech has been something that has been really a savior because um, I'm a research scientist in tech, obviously, and, and I can, like, you know, map out my day. I can do certain things that I want. Uh, it's not really... Uh, process based is like you know what the outcome is so if I have something to do being in tech allows me to focus on what the output is not really like how many hours I'm clocking in or what I'm doing on a time-to-time basis yep oh nice and I, I didn't realize are, are are you in Ghana now or are you in the U.S.? I'm in the U.S. now uh, but Ghana burns so bright in my heart I am thinking of going back and doing something in the future Wow. So did you grow up in, in Ghana and then you, you, so you've kind of gone back and forth between the U.S. and, and, and Ghana? So let me tell you the timeline. It's really convoluted, but I, I, I think I can describe it better. I was born in the United States. My parents are missionaries, like I said before. So yeah. I was born 
United States. Uh, my parents went to Ghana, so we lived in Ghana. I did middle school, um, elementary school, high school, uh, and then college in Ghana. Wow. And then born here, I could easily come back uh, and continue grad school here. So now I live here with my husband. My husband is in medicine, so I live here with my husband and my son. Um, but I grew up in Ghana all my formative years, my friends, my extended family. So um, thinking about going back is, as a way for me to retire here um, and then go back and do something um, if God gives me life. Yep. Wow. And so do you feel like uh, tech has been introduced in Ghana in a, like in a sense of, you know, where young people are encouraged to go into tech? Because I know like you hear lawyer, doctor, and like you, you hear uh, people that, you know, are, are told to go for those kind of fields, um, mm-hmm. but not so much tech. And, and when you're told to be, a, to be an engineer, it's, it, it's not technical engineering. It's, it's not STEM engineering. Um, so do you feel like during your time there growing up that there might've been at least a little bit of, of influence to go into tech or no? Yo, you're asking really, really good questions. And this question makes me pause. So when I was in Ghana, I did research. Like even me trying to do my final year, like, you know, undergrad research in healthcare informatics was really strange because nobody had heard that term and nobody knew it was like tech related. But informatics is straight up tech, right? Um, Back then, I don't, even in the healthcare, I don't think that, no, let me go back. Even in like, you know, gaming and industry and entertainment in Ghana and even the banking industry, I didn't think tech was introducing enough. The only thing that I heard of was like, you know, tech support. And everything was really outsourced uh, to other countries. But now, just like keeping connected with some of my friends and, and knowing how many schools are pushing out, you know, graduates from computer science or IT, I think there's a lot of workforce, but there's still not the structure. And you and I both know the structure is really important. Yeah. And this tech is really new in Ghana. I don't think there's a lot of role models or people that people we can see that are, you know, people who started in tech and in tech. For example, I used to look up to, um, you know, maybe country director of Google or um, like Samsung country director or look at like, you know, figures that I really adore, but didn't have a tech background. Wow. Right. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't try to, you, you couldn't understand like in Ghana or most of Africa, we couldn't understand what is possible when you start in tech. Wow. But now, Connecting with my people in Ghana and understanding what's going on, I think that there's definitely an improvement. There's a lot of things coming up. There are a lot of people getting involved in tech. And I can boldly say that in 10 or 15 years, we can see that structure in place and see how tech has really helped in different industries. But yes, definitely the lawyer-doctor syndrome, it's really high in Ghana. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's 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 really uh, interesting. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't realize that there, like, you know, I, I think just like growing up in the in the U.S., it's 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 two different worlds. And I mean, I mm-hmm. had a conversation with someone the other day. He's actually Romanian, and you know, and he asked me the same question. He was like, "Did you mm-hmm. have that influence?" And I said, "Yeah, I did." But pretty much a lot of other women that I talk to, whether they're from the U.S. or um, from a country within Africa, have the same response that they didn't really have that influence uh, growing up or, or like it wasn't considered 
considered an option as a career. So that's yeah. that's really interesting. Well, we're glad to have you in 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 tech, and we're we're so excited that you're excited about being in tech, and and you yeah. love to do. Um, so, like speaking of tech and and what you do in, in tech, like like what does every day look like for you? Like I've actually never heard of a UX researcher until about a week or two ago. So really? yeah, I yeah. Like I've heard of UI designers, I've heard of UX UX designers, but I've never heard of a of a researcher until recently. So, what does your day to day look like? What, right. You know? Yes. Let Let me go back a little bit. So, a UX researcher or UX research scientist is basically someone who cares so deeply about people using technology and advocates for people who use actual technology. Uh, and not just like, you know, companies that are building technology. So as you can see, there are a lot of technology that's been churned out. There's a lot of like systems and and, and UIs and um, kind of like services that are put out there for people to use. But not all of these technology are one, useful and two, usable. Um, so UX research uh, came about recently. And even when I was in grad school, there wasn't a graduate degree in that uh just like UX research. So when I started my PhD, so when I said master's, there wasn't, but when I started my PhD, they started to have that interdisciplinary uh, user experience research. Um, for me, there's no two days that I like, but I can describe typically what I do. So as a research scientist in identity services, and this UX research can do a lot of different things. Um, my role is to research ways that we can build uh, financial products and services and interfaces for users and be one inclusive and two diverse uh, because we're building these interfaces and products for everybody. So mm-hmm. as a research, my job is to look at different user groups. For example, a kid's going to use it, an older adult's going to use it. It's just a general uh, adult population going to use it. What are some behaviors and, and, and uh, human attitudes that we know or don't know that can help us design for a better uh, tool or better product or better interface. Um, And then also it's my job to look at um, different tax and different scenarios. For example, let's use Capital One. So you go into Capital One, you want to apply for bank uh, or credit card. What are the different, who are you and how can we best uh, make the experience like pleasant for you? Um, let me give you an example. Uh, when I was a UX researcher at Google, my job was to build a, an experience for the Photos app. So I don't know if you've used the Photos app, but my job was to look at human behavior and attitude and make sure that what we're designing and building is something that comes natural to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you look at people advertising to hire user experience researchers. But my background in um, academia helps me think beyond just like building and using. And so some of the big questions that I help solve are what's the next phase of password? Because we know that people forget passwords. Uh, password reset is inconvenient. Uh, people are spending a lot of money calling call centers uh, to reset their passwords. So what is the next phase of um, password? Uh, what is the next phase of artificial intelligence that can help make people's life better? So that, for example, you're buying a dress, but with artificial intelligence or with uh, virtual reality, you can see how it fits on your body and things like that. So it's just that scientific part that thinks about the abstract of technology 
and making sure that when you launch, you go onto the website or you get that product in hand or you have that service introduced to you on the phone or on, on, on your laptop, it's easy for you to use it. And so that's my job. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. I like, <laughs> like, like, like I wish there was like emoji over my head right now. <laughs> like my brain exploding. Right. I, so like I'm on the opposite side of tech where it, it, it's, it's like, like I'm on the, the, the side of the watch, so to say, where like, you know, like I put all the puzzle pieces together. So the front face of the watch works, but I didn't think about everything that you just said. Like, okay. Like for example, everyone that uses an Apple device is because they like that user experience of it being so simple for, for someone that's older or someone that's young, even babies now can very easily use Apple devices because it's, it's a very, you know, good experience. So I, like, I don't know why I didn't realize that there are people behind designing that experience and making sure that it's simple for people to use. Um, I, yeah, like that is never actually really crossed. And, and, and I, I think that it's you, I even had a hard time launching into this field. Uh, it was only when I realized that technology built for healthcare is really intrusive that I started to think about how can we design this to make it like something that doctors love to use? Cause you'd ask t- 10 doctors and eight out of 10 doctors would hate using their medical record technology or like the epics and the sternus, like the system that is built for them to use the technology. And so I started to think that way, but then the best example is what you stated. Like, you know, you get an iPhone or you get an iWatch or you get a MacBook and nobody has to give you a manual. Mm-hmm. And in as much as we spend a lot of money uh, training people to use technology or like, you know, factoring that into a technology life cycle, the best case scenario is to give people tech and then leave them to run with it, you know? So mm-hmm. thinking about like, you know, swiping and double tapping, nobody thought about that, but a user experience researcher started to research that movement and realize that will be something that people were going to find it easier to use and that's how things like that come about wow that's i'm i'm so like i i like <laughs> I this all in right now because i yeah it, it's it, it's a thing and we need people like you to create better experiences for right. users um okay so you, like you mentioned like a couple seconds ago that when you first started, uh, it was a little bit difficult for you. So what skills did you learn to get into UX research? Like, did like, did you learn this in school? Did you just take up something online? Or did you just, like, go for the kill and go for your first job and right. figure it out? So I would say that, just here, I want um, people listening to understand that you, there are two ways to get in. You can get a job as a developer or in any tech field and then learn that skill and try to apply it. But as I said, as an overachiever, I wanted to get in the right way. So I went into grad school and for like half of my PhD uh, duration, I took classes. So I took classes and these classes are kept under the umbrella of human computer interaction. So in those classes, I learned um, what is psychology behind how people behave. Mm. I took new uh, cognition classes. I took um, fundamentals of design. I took graphic design. I took uh, classes in, like, you know, uh, user interaction. Mm-hmm. I took 
around like you know gate and how uh, people move or people move their fingers you know i took a lot of classes that really helps me understand the psychology behind how people think and how people behave and i even took classes on culture international cultures because we realized that different people from different backgrounds uh, react and act on things differently so i had to build that foundation of thinking about the abstract so in human computer interaction you're looking at how humans are going to interact with technology in a different domain and healthcare was my primary domain uh, but you can do that in gaming you can do that in entertainment you can do that in finance and banking like what i'm doing now um and so that's the learning part of how i got you know ready for the career but another thing that helped me was to build my human skill or people skill Mm-hmm. Uh, because the research scientists in human community interaction, you're interacting with people, you're interacting with teams that are building these things. You know, you have your deaf people, you have your product people, uh, you're talking to your biz deaf people, uh, you're talking to your designers, right? And so building that skill of empathy, it seems like, ah, oh, you should know that or you should have that people skill. But yeah. um, as an introvert, that is really hard for me to do. Um, and so I learned a skill of like, you know, how do I conduct interviews and not bias people? And that's where the academic side helped me. Building a rapport between people, um, making sure that we're comfortable in the experiences that you're designing for them. And one most important thing is um, just trying to help them move from what they're used to, that we call mental models, and shifting them to the ideal experience that you want them to, to be ready for. Um, so that's the second part that I built. My people skill, my interviewing skill, um, and then being able to generate those insights to the development team to build the experience for that. And then the last thing that I would say is just like jumping in. Uh, in a new field, everybody's trying to assert like, you know, who they are and expertise. And it's it's easy for women uh, and for people of color to feel like we're not cut out for, you know, those types of roles. But I think the last goal that you need to build or the muscle that you need to go is just the muscle of just jumping in and getting opportunities. I remember I did about 10 internships in grad school. I'll do some in the, in the summer. I'll do some in the winter. I'll do spring co-ops. Um, I interned at Google, IBM twice, like tech, educational research labs, anything that I could find because I wanted to build that muscle of like just jumping in and getting to work. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. And you've named some big names over the past couple of minutes. You 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 worked for Google, for for IBM, for Capital One. Uh, who, uh, what other companies have you have you worked for? For the federal government, um, working as a fellow scientist. Uh, I also worked as a at a consultant UX company uh, called UserWork, one of the bigger ones in Washington D.C. Metro, and obviously at Labs. So I worked at. Um, my graduate school lab, um, I did a lot of work there. And I also consulted. So I consulted to EA Games, um, helped them read um, like minority uh, industries. I consulted to Facebook, did some projects for them. And just like, you know, local businesses and local um, stores that want to uh, just move that level to the next, uh, move their technology to the next level. And I'm open. What I really love is doing international research work. So, for example, there's an iPhone. How do we make sure that people in Pakistan, in Ghana, in Nigeria, in London are able to use it and understand it the same way that people in the U.S. can do can can you know can use it? And so, doing that international research really also uh, 
makes me happy and I do that too sometimes. Yeah, and you know, as as you were just talking, um, one of the things I was thinking about was um, uh, my two previous roles. Uh, mm-hmm. I so like even though my role wasn't doing support, I, I did end up like ordering computers and um, and ordering machines for people that uh-huh. outside of the U.S. And you don't realize things like the keyboard's different. You don't realize yeah. things that like you know maybe certain buttons on certain hardware devices are different for people mm-hmm. in other countries and you just think that everything probably looks the same so yeah. you can probably imagine that ux uh researchers as yourself has to take mm-hmm. that into uh like into consideration that you know when a person moves on this device it's going to be different from someone that moves from this country on this same device because perhaps the keyboard's different so I'm pretty sure you might have to think of you know making software and products and and designs more fluid for everyone right and and a good example is I don't know if you've heard of it but Ikea opened stores in India about a year ago and um they didn't realize that in India, uh, much like most African countries, people don't just drive to stores to build, to buy stuff that, you know, they, they take home to build. And so they had to invest money in, in buying these little cart cars mm-hmm. that help with delivery. And that's like part of user experience, designing the service or the experience that people are going to and looking at the different geographic locations and the different cultures and understanding what are they comfortable with? What are some of the things that they would not do by themselves, some of the things that they would do by themselves and designing for that. Yep. Wow, that's 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 really cool. And so um okay, so I'm I'm thinking now like so you worked at some big companies, mm-hmm. um, but and and you mentioned you did some like some consulting work uh, as well. Um, so like your first couple of roles, um, how did you apply for them? How did you go for them? Um, did you fit all the qualifications? Like you, you mentioned earlier that you did take some courses in in school, and and you know, and some people have experiences where they feel like school prepares them, and some people feel like it doesn't. Um, so what was that like for you applying to your first couple of roles? So, so I built this philosophy that was built over time because of my experience. So I'm the queen of rejections. I was rejected to anything and everything at all times. What? All my roles, I was rejected to grad school the first time. And it was just like paperwork mishap. And then my second time when I applied to a PhD, I was rejected because I didn't understand what was human computer interaction. And they bumped me to IS master's degree, but I took it because I was building that muscle of jumping in and stepping up, right? Um, so I was directed to all my academic uh, so the first side, but then either to like errors or like, you know, mistakes or like, you know, so I always have that initial rejection letter and I save them. Uh, and this is building up to like, you know, what you're asking. And then with all these big names that I put out there, it's not just to, to make me or make anyone listening that, you know, I'm good or I'm like top of my field. But it's just a reminder that, you know, you can only be successful uh, if you're willing to try, right? So I, let's take, for example, Google. I applied for internship the first time. Guess what? I was rejected. I applied for the second time. I had the first interview. Guess what? I was rejected. The third time, I got an interview. And nobody knows that. And that's part of the story that 
visually omit because people were thinking, oh, she worked at all these top companies. But I was rejected several times. And so now my philosophy in getting to where I want to get to is to at least apply for the first time, even when I don't qualify. Because what you learn from that process is that you know what you need for the mm-hmm. next time. And all these recruiters give you a wealth of information that helps you be better the next time. So when I get the question of, you know, how do you um, stand up for what you want or apply to jobs that you you feel like you don't qualify or how do you um, just like negotiate or do anything that feels uncomfortable, it's just do it and do it and do it and get all the rejections out of the way because the first process is always the the convoluted or, or, or the, the rockiest, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next, the next step is, or the second step is when you have tougher muscles and you have better chances. And so with all these companies that I've been working at, there's these grant work or the first application that I don't talk about, but it's the first application where I, I get rejected. So for now, I'm like, you know, a research scientist and in five years, I want to be, you know, a VP of, of, of research this is what I do I go to LinkedIn look at the job titles or look at people who are working in that field look at a job description is there anything that I don't have now how do I build myself for that in the next two years in the next three years so for me that question is a matter of like you know am I willing to apply for these jobs and two am I willing to look far ahead as in two three years uh, before I'm actually ready to apply to get myself prepared. And the last one is just connecting with people who know people because in as much as we don't like to hear that, the world is a, a giant network of people who know people who vouch for people. So that's how I approach that. Yeah, okay, wow. You just threw <laughs> like some major, like I'm like leaning forward into my camera, like say more. You are like throwing life lessons over here. And I like everything that you yeah. just said. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, thank you for telling that story because yeah, you're right. Like so many people out there, you just hear the end result, right? Like, yeah. Oh, I worked at Google. I worked at Facebook. I did this. I did that. But you don't really hear this side of it of like, oh yeah, but before that they rejected me three times or, you know, or before that, you know, no one would give me a job for for this. Like, so I really do thank you for like telling that side Mm -hmm. of the story. And you mentioned another good point is to keep really good connections as well. Um, I'm sure that's been a huge part of your your success in your Mm -hmm. career is, you you know, like one being persistent, being resilient, um, Mm -hmm. but also keeping the right people in your network. And it sounds like you must have people in your network that are helping to move you forward and not back. So that's, that's, that's really important. Um, so, uh, speaking of being, um, uh, successful, what would you consider your most, um, successful point in your career or moment in your career? So, in thinking about this, so I was thinking about that. I've been thinking about it a lot. Uh, you know, you get to a point like, and, and the variation of that question is like, when do you, when do you think you made it? Like to me, I, I, I haven't gotten to a successful point because I feel like the part of your career that you consider successful should be a part that you made the most impact on other people's lives. Mm-hmm. All the examples that I was listing in my head about the question that you just asked are things that are just for me, you know, 
when I got in grad school, when I finished uh, my PhD in three years, like when I finished all my school or when I got married or when I had a kid before 30, like all these things are things that I benefit from and that makes my head big. You know, there's nothing that I have done to give back to the community or there's nothing that I've done to impact other people, you know? And I think that that is not to say that I wouldn't have success or this is the end of it. I think this question really, really hits home for me because it makes me think, what is something that I want to say as a response for the question in the next five years? For me, success looks like being able to mentor young girls or young women in color to get into STEM or get into technology or get into the field that they want to Mm-hmm. and understand that the things that I face or the barriers that I face are not something that they are going to face because they have the knowledge that I had from the experiences that I've gone through, you know, giving back. The next thing is success for me in the next three or four or five years looks like me going back to Africa and then starting something that is going to really help young people like myself in Africa and Ghana who are in technology or in, the, in, 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 in computer science have a worldview, you mm-hmm. know, so have that relation where they can come to the U.S. and see what's going on. Uh, they can go to other countries and see what's going on. They can get role models. They can get mentors who are not by geographic location so that can have that perspective. Because I think one thing that my parents who are missionaries instilled is given my and I, the worldview of seeing things differently, it helps you be a better person. So, so for me, success for me looks like something that impacts the world, yeah. you know, or something that helps me give back, thinking about all the blessings that I've had, right? And so in preparation towards that, like now it seems like I'm in this like little hole trying to, you know, make myself better. But really... I am spending a lot of time to think about what is it that I want to do to give impact to other people and not just myself, you know, because it's easy for you to think about what money do I want or what title do I want for my role or what things do I want to manage or where do I want to work at? But I don't think that's, that means success. I think success for me means that um, giving back or having that impact. And (laughs) I'm sorry to say I haven't reached that yet, but in three or four years, ask me that same question. And I hope, praying to God, that I have a better answer for you. And I'm able to show for what I've given into. Okay. Well, I can say this. <laughs> you actually did already start by coming on this podcast. So, I know. So right yeah. here, you are starting your first step, right? Like, you have taken your time on this Sunday um, yeah. with you sleeping or with your baby and you took the, the, the time to take an hour to tell your 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 stories to inspire others so there goes your your, your first step right there thank um, you yeah you can talk more about how else you can help out as well so um yeah I, I I really appreciate your 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 candidness and just like being very honest and like open um so I think it's really cool that you mentioned that you would like to go back to Ghana and help other black women there and, and, and kind of get them started into tech. Um, just any black woman anywhere, what advice would you have for 
like another black woman that's entering into the user uh, experience research field. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've been through some challenges. What were your challenges and what advice would you give to the next young black woman? So, yeah, that's a good question. Like the challenges and the advice. So I had three main challenges. Uh, the first one was sweating the small stuff. And I used to think that, you know, being an overachiever, that's like what I did best. And, and that's what was preventing me. But I think that as women in tech, we tend to sweat the this, this small stuff, right? Are we technical enough? Are we feminine enough? Are we masculine enough? Like, you know, whatever it is, we're sweating yeah. the this, this small stuff. And that took away a lot of my joy and a lot of my energy in getting to where I am now. I'm not saying that I would have traded anything that I did in the past, but I'm saying that just having that extra energy to do something else and not worrying and sweat and sweating the small stuff. And it's harder to understand because people kept telling me that when I was younger, you can tell me nothing about, you know, thinking where am I going to be? Um, so the first thing is don't sweat the small stuff. Uh, whether you're entering tech or um, you're already in tech, don't think about the small stuff about like who is going to accept me or will I be technical enough? Do I know enough? Just jump in and do whatever you can do, right? The second stuff is you can be creative and also be techie. Yes. <laughs> in the beginning, I thought programming was the only thing that makes somebody a, pro, a, a tech person or starting off in computer science or um, building an app. You know, all the different mental models that we have as women about who an actual techie or computer scientist is, throw them away. Because you can have layers, and we, we talk about this, and, and I'm going to say it again, you can have layers and layers and layers and layers of who you are that you bring into tech that makes you unique. So you don't have to have a checklist of who a technical woman in computing should be in order for you to think that you're tech enough. And I know that a lot of people who already are in tech or are entering tech for the first time as, as young adults or young women or are considering switching careers into tech and you're asking all these different questions about, you know, who they are and whether they fit into this box of being a technical woman. Please don't do that. Wherever you are, I think your experience asks on to who you are as a technical woman. And that's one part of you. And that leads me to the last one. I want people out there to know that you can be a woman in tech and still have fun and live your life. Um, as women in tech, we tend to pause our lives in order to get all these technical skills or in order to achieve things in the technical world. Um, but one thing that, well, I learned the hard way, like I wanted to go to school back to back to back to school, but my then boyfriend, who is now my husband, helped me understand that you can still be a woman in tech or try to achieve all these awesome things or even switch careers into being a technical woman or start off in computer science in, in undergrad and still have fun go to the parties, uh, go to the concerts, um, do this arts and craft thing that you like to do, sing, uh, do karaoke. Like you can bring your whole self into tech. So um, in as much as we like to think that, hey, I am like, you know, zero tolerance, I'm like in tech. So I have to be this like tough woman mm -hmm. or like feel like everything around me has to stop for me to be a woman in tech or like my dating life has to pause 
or my my side hustle has to pause or um, my nails and my makeup um, kind of love and passion has to stop because I'm a tech woman and I have to be feminine. That mentality has to stop. You can still live your life and still be a woman in tech. So all these things come to to understand that we have to make women in tech a new normal. So whether you're entering um, the field to be like a woman in tech or whether you're in it uh, trying to hustle your way up or whether you're considering uh, switching careers to be a technical woman, um, you still need to enjoy life and understand that that's going to be a small part of you. But then a major part of you is going to be the support and the sisterhood and the girlfriends that you already had. Mm -hmm. So um, being a successful woman also comes to that point where yourself is made whole, as in W-H-O-L-E, Inner to enjoy, <laughs> inner to enjoy being a woman in tech, and, and I wish everybody uh, understood that or had that, and not learn it the hard way that I did. Yeah. Wow, man, I'm I'm gonna listen to this <laughs> myself <laughs> when I'm like jogging in the morning because yeah, you, you seriously had dropped. Like, I mean, yeah, thank you. I I really love really you. You have so much wisdom, and I really really do hope that. Many people get to hear this this episode and hear your story and be inspired by it because I'm inspired by your story right thank now. Um, so yeah, I I really thank you for coming on and doing this episode with me. And um, yeah, thank you. Great. Now I know you want to hear more. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with the world. Stories of Black women in tech just isn't for Black women in tech. It's for the world to hear and see how strong human beings we are. Do you know of any Black women in tech who want to tell their stories? Tell them to write in to Naya at Fralvies.com. That is N-A-Y-A at F-R-A-U-V-I-S dot com. Don't forget to subscribe and share.